Welcome to Educate, Caring Activists, Teachers for Equity, the podcast about all things education and equity. I'm Jennifer Martin from the University of Illinois at Springfield. This is episode four, Reciprocate, facilitating responsive school cultures by building caring relationships. We are on location today at Hazel Dell Elementary, and our guest is Mr. Jamar Scott. Mr. Jamar Scott has been the principal of Hazel Dell Elementary in District 186, Springfield, Illinois, since 2011. He is the recipient of the 2019 Horace Mann Administrator of the Year Award and is a member of the Advanced Illinois Educator Advisory Council. His undergraduate degree is in secondary mathematics and he holds a master's in educational leadership. Mr. Scott is currently completing his doctorate in educational leadership at St. Louis University. Prior to his tenure at Hazel Dell, Mr. Scott was a math teacher, an assistant principal, a senior guidance dean, and he has also served as a university lecturer. The college courses Mr. Scott has taught include college algebra, statistics, business statistics, middle and secondary mathematics methods, and mathematics seminar for career transition teachers. His areas of expertise include building relationships with students, staff, families, and the community, curriculum and pedagogy, the impact of race on education in America, staff communication, teacher feedback and evaluation, and response to intervention, RTI. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So Mr. Scott is with us today to talk about best practices for teachers and what teachers need to do to be successful in the classroom. So what do you look for when you are hiring teachers? I look for a passionate, gifted individual, like somebody who knows what they're doing and who cares deeply about children. And what, how, if you're interviewing them for, let's say, 20 minutes, how do those qualities come through to you? It's very clear when uh, people just want a job or people feel like they were meant to do this. So I look for the people who ooze, I was meant to do this, and who are really uh, good in terms of their academic background and pedagogy. So like they, they're they not just passionate about it, but they understand the difference between text on the page and information internalized for a student. So they kind of know how to adapt the curriculum that's on the page to meet the learning needs and challenges of individual kids? Yeah, and, and they also are able to make uh, make learning fun and permanent you know like it's one thing to learn a fact for a test but it's a very different thing to understand 
you know, the series of events that led to an historic event uh, and to have it framed in such a way that they see how it relates to them, you know, so that they make it relevant. Right. And that takes time and skill. How long on average would you say after one graduates from a teacher education program, does it take to become a master teacher? Is there a, is there a recipe? Does it vary? It really does vary. I like some people just have it. Some people just have it. And you don't have to do uh, a lot of coaching and prompting and prodding and, you know, professional development, uh, they will always continue to get better with those things. But there are some people who just have a natural gift for this. And for those that don't and are really passionate about it, they can develop those things. But uh, it really boils down to you get out of it what you put into it. So like if you put your time in to really think about these are the students in my classroom and they are in, you know, these five different places, for a skill that I'm trying to teach today, you have to be prepared to meet all five different skill sets in one lesson. And therein lies great teaching because you don't want the kids that are uh, more ready for the instruction to be bored. And you don't want the kids who aren't quite as ready to be challenged to the degree that they quit. Right. So you, it just takes a lot of skill, you know, and you got to really structure your lessons so that you can meet everybody's needs in a way that continues to push them all. So I think maybe a part of a piece of what we're talking about is, is coined as differentiation. For our novice listeners, can you tell us what that looks like and maybe the, the goals of differentiation for, for teachers and students? So you're, you're teaching to one standard primarily on a daily basis. Uh, I just left a first grade reading classroom, uh, very different ability levels. Uh, the teacher was working with a group of students who were reading like a, a level B. What does that mean? Is, uh, maybe like a kindergarten reader. And then she had kids that were like level E's, G's. So those are kids who were ready at first grade level for this time of the school year. So with those kids who were uh, learning to read, she, she started the same lesson for everybody using parts of words that you know to figure out words that you don't know. So that's something that everybody can relate to. The difference is those kids at that B level have her smaller word bank to begin with. So after she finished the whole group lesson, she worked with the smaller group, the smaller, uh, the lower group, so to speak. Uh, and that group focused on the words that they knew. They used the snap words that they understood and she incorporated those words into new words for them. Did you say snap words? Yes. Snap what does that words. mean? They're supposed to read them quickly so that they they can have the fluency necessary to build comprehension mm -hmm. as they read. So the words that a student at level B have mastered and can read in a snap are very, very different than what a kid that's a level G or an H would be able to do. So the teacher needs to understand clearly that these are the words that this group of children knows, and this is how they can apply what I just taught them today 
to the words that they know. And then we go to the next group and they're looking at something completely different because their word bank is larger and more extensive. How do teachers navigate that without alienating some of the students who might be younger or less prepared developmentally or academically without making them feel left out or that they are not as intelligent as some of the other students? Uh, celebrating what they are able to do like throughout this entire process. Like the lesson I just observed, like I heard great job, good job, awesome. I don't know, every minute just about that I was in the room, you know, when she was working with smaller groups. So celebrate the wins so that you can have more wins, even the small ones. Celebrate the small wins so that you can have bigger wins, you know, and they want to work for you. They don't feel defeated. They feel like I'm doing a good job. You know, because everybody's in a different place, right. you know, everybody's in a different place. What do you think the biggest challenge for new teachers is? Is there a consistent area that, that challenges teachers uh, the most? I would say there are two. Uh, one being classroom management. You absolutely must understand how you work best with children and how to ensure that uh, you could build a positive culture in the room that is orderly so that instruction and uh, learning can happen. Uh, if you don't have that in place, uh, as passionate as you may be, you will not be effective in this field. You know, And it's just a different day. Kids don't just come in afraid of their parents, so they sit in the row and, you know, do whatever you tell them to do because they don't want that phone call home. We don't we don't live in that world anymore. You know, there are some children who still come from those types of backgrounds, but uh, children today are very uh, confident in themselves and <laughs> their own thoughts and their own desires. And they make that obvious even in the classroom, you know, so we have to be prepared in like very well prepared to have students meet our expectations, you know, and that really boils down to you have to build relationships. Uh, there's a book mm. that we have in our in our restroom at here in the staff lounge that says children don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think that's amazing. Yeah, and I think that is so true. That's so true. So Relationships true. are the so building true. block to learning. Can you tell us, do you have a story that you can share with our listeners about maybe when you were a, a new teacher, like a classroom management mm. success story or a learning success story? <laughs> do you have any memories of reaching that that student who, who others maybe thought was unreachable? So student teacher, I'm at a school and there's a kid who does everything possible to just distract, you know, like not like over the top, but just like little bitty comments, trying to make people laugh, all these things. So nothing that was just like over the top obnoxious, but just uh, a little irritating. This one day he was about to get started again. So I just walked up to him and I just put my hand on his shoulder and I just kept teaching. I don't know what was in my hands on that day. I guess I had fairy dust. <laughs> <laughs> but he 
like from that moment on, there were no more disruptions. And I really feel like it was just like his behavior was a plea for attention. Yes. And he wanted to know whether or not I was paying attention to him. And so it sounds like he was seeking, or maybe this is the only type of attention he knew how to seek was negative. Right. But then how did you moving forward give him positive attention that he was obviously craving? Right. And I think I didn't realize it until that moment. So just basically making sure I stopped and talked to him every day that he was coming to the classroom. So that was while I was student teaching. So that just became like a part of just my routine with every kid. Notice every haircut every new hairstyle, like really being attentive to the kids that are coming uh, into your classroom. You know, I even do that now as a principal. Yes, I have noticed that. And in fact, I brought my group of student teachers to observe how you interact with the students because I wanted them to see a principal, an educator who actively worked to develop positive relationships with their students. So. We noticed that you would greet all the students by name. You would give them high five, hugs, mm -hmm. whatnot, chit chat with every single kid. And you can tell that every single kid really loves and respects you. So mm -hmm. that is amazing. How do you help new teachers develop professionally in terms of their classroom management? Is that something that we can work on to, to get better at? Absolutely. Uh, I think one piece is I can't really help a teacher if I'm not in their classroom to see what's going on. So like a one shot come in for an evaluation, never going to work. What are some of the negative things that you see teachers doing in terms of classroom management? Like things that don't biggest, work that we can avoid? Yelling. Ooh, I hate that. Yeah, yelling and like losing your losing Composure. control of yourself. You getting know, like, angry. Yeah, getting angry. And not the kids won't push you to that point. It will happen. Yes, okay? it will. Like point blank, period, is part of life in this profession. But we have to realize that we are one adults. Yes. Two, we are paid <laughs> to do this. Yes. And we're not being paid to uh mistreat uh students intentionally or unintentionally i we are on the same exact page the same sentence the same word you and i okay <laughs> so how do you if you have a teacher who maybe gets really angry and and yells if if students aren't complying 100 percent um how do you help them control Very direct. that okay Very direct. no yelling you don't hear me yelling, so I don't expect to hear you yelling. <laughs> Does that work? That's simple. Uh, either it works or people choose to go somewhere else. To go somewhere else. Okay. That's what I have experienced here, you know, and in previous positions. And your method has been successful. You were just honored with a very prestigious award. Can you tell us about that? Ha ha. <laughs> I am the 2019 Horace Mann Educator of the Year, which was, which was, uh, I think it was weird because I really don't do it for acknowledgement. You know, like I just don't. You know, like I just feel like I want to be the educator that I would hope 
for my children. You know, and if I do that every day, then, you know, I was that way before I had children. I'm still that way today. Like, I would want my children to have a Mr. Scott in their lives, you know, like when they go to school. So, you know, uh, obviously uh, that has impacted enough people for this award to occur. And, you know, it just really like, it pushes me to do more. So I want money. Uh, and with that money, I put a down. You won money? I won some money. And with that money, I made my first payment to complete my doctorate. Congratulations. My, my what advice do you have for students who are studying to be teachers or students who are maybe struggling about the decision of, of whether or not to enter the profession. Why should we become teachers? Because you love children, number one. And two, you want any and every child that comes into your space to leave your space better than they were when they came into it. And if that's not really why you're here, you know, we get our summers off. That's great. Ish. <laughs> we get we get our, you know, we get several breaks throughout the year that, you know, other employees and different other, you know, fields don't have. But it really can't just be for the breaks or for the salary because we work harder in our little nine or ten months than a lot of people work all year long in their That's other right. jobs. And not, Late not nights grading, yeah, weekends not, grading, yeah. planning. Summertime prep work, going in before Professional development. Get your classroom ready. Buying supplies. Going broke, buying That's stuff. That's right. Okay. <laughs> uh, especially for new teachers. But you want, you know, you have this vision of what you want your rooms to be like. And, you know, you invest in that. And invariably, uh, your investment uh, has a very positive return. As an administrator, do you support teachers who want to experiment, like create a non-traditional flexible seating classroom with lamps and twinkle lights and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Would you say that a lot of teachers here have experimented in that way? Oh, I have some that have, you know. Is it uh, successful? To some degree. It really, for me, it is, you have to do those things with the students that you have in mind because sometimes uh, not every kid can handle flexible seating arrangements uh, so uh, you almost need to have both <laughs> on standby so just in case because, is that because some students desire that sort of inside the box structure and or that's what they're, they're used, used to, to it. so when you know like when you put a child on a couch some kids are thinking Xbox, not learning. Yeah. You know, so it really just depends on the group that you have. Sometimes it works phenomenally, uh, but you definitely have to have your management has to be really good and your your setup has to fit you. You know, like you don't do flexible seating because it's the end thing. Right. You know, like yeah. and I think you have to I believe think, in it. Uh I think 
uh, for some it's like fetish or they've seen it on Pinterest and like, oh, I want to try that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I want to try that. And it's not really uh, rooted in what they really believe. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and I think everything you do in, in your classroom, you have to really believe in it for it to be successful. Not just trying it. What is, if you could envision anything for Hazeldale Elementary School. Mm -hmm. What would you wish, if you could have any goal, what would it be? Uh, I, my goal, my wish, and our, all of our effort is for all of our kids to be proficient. Like what does that be, mean? It means that they can uh, consistently perform and achieve at grade level, like grade level reading, grade level math, grade level writing, you know, like that. Uh, they can leave us move to the next grade or the next school and be successful because they are absolutely equipped to do any and everything uh, presented to them at their grade level. So, you know, we, we, set, we set some proficiency goals for our building, which uh, have honestly been laughed at by some. Are you saying... Some people, some powers that be, don't uh, believe in our saying, children. I'm not even saying there's powers that be. I, some people saw our proficiency goals, and basically, in some way, uh, passed along the message that that's never going to happen. I was just witnessing an interaction between Principal Scott and some kids. Can you talk about how you use, I don't know, your sense of humor? You're funny and you're just so responsive to the, to the students. So all of the kids, I hope know that I love them, but I tell them all that I don't like them. <laughs> so I was recently at a conference and I got to get this book for you. This, this, do you know who Cornelius Minor is? Nope. Well, he's out of, he is, uh, he's in New York and he is a teacher, but he's also a scholar and a writer. Okay. So he has a book called We Got This and it's about, you know, working with the kids we work with. So anyway, I, mm -hmm. I got to see him um, present and he was talking about transactional. Please. Yes. Mm -hmm. And how negative that can be for kids. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I just did something for you, why aren't you acting this way, right? So, and he gave an example of a mistake he had made, mm -hmm. you know? He was like, this kid was on the brink of not being able to graduate. And so he did all this work to write an appeal for this kid. And then the next day, you know, I guess he was rude to him or something. And he was like, after all I've done for you and you're going to do me this way. And then he realized, wait a minute, I need to give unconditional love and everything to my students, no matter what they do or don't do. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you can teach your people and inspire your people? Because sometimes we're treating kids as though, 
it's a it's a transaction. You know, I did this for you, so I want this back, and that's just not best practice, right? Oh yeah, absolutely not. Uh, I think what we have to realize from our position is that we are dealing with uh, children who have come from environments where many promises have been broken. There is limited trust. And some of them are dealing directly with trauma, whether we know it or not. And if we are doing it to get something back, then we shouldn't be doing it. It's that simple. Uh, and I mean, they're kids. They're gonna they're gonna mess up. You know, like that's what they do. We did it. You know, like we did dumb stuff. And people restored us and taught us the correct way mm-hmm. to handle things, but. Uh, I just think I had a lot of really, really, really good examples of educators in my life, like all the way through. Like, tell will you tell us about one? Oh, I can tell you. About Who's several. your favorite? So I have two favorites, maybe three. <laughs> okay. Uh, I start with my sixth grade teacher. Her name was Jeanette Graham. So Miss Graham was that teacher who really, like, I always thought I was smart. You know, like I used to compete with the other smart kids and we would try to see outperform each other all the tests. But she helped me to see that I was a leader. She also helped me to understand that uh, a lot of people were even looking up to me in the sixth grade. Like I didn't even, you know, like I didn't, I didn't believe it. You know, like I didn't, ain't nobody looking at me, you know, like. I'm playing a little bit. But, you know, she would always take time, pull me to the side doing lunch, like recess. She would come out and, like, if she had duty, she would, like, literally talk to me the entire recess. Often. And, you know, we'd talk about family. We'd talk about everything else. And it really boiled down to when you have positive relationships with your students, they will do anything to uh, meet your expectations. So... She had exceptionally high expectations for me. And in our uh, in sixth grade for us, we used to have uh, like a student of the year in all of the sixth Ooh. grade classes. Right. So that was like the highest achieving student. And they would that student from each of the three sixth grade classes would give a speech at our promotion to middle school uh, or junior high cer- ceremony. So. You know, she had been saying that uh, I'm getting ready to pick my student of the year, blah, blah, blah. Y'all got to make sure you're performing your best on all of these tests and everything. So she uh, she comes into class one day looking mad, like, Jamal, I need to talk to you. So I'm kind of confused. <laughs> what is going on? She takes me out into the hallway and she said, now, you can't show it on your face, but you're the student of the year. So when she told me that, it was, I was kind of like, you know, it was one student named Kevin Kevin Matoka. Oh my god! I was like, I beat Kevin. What? So when I got when I got that uh, award, uh, it was it was sort of like I can do whatever, you know, like uh, I am capable. Like I, I I thought I was, but it's just being confirmed, you know, like and being affirmed in in that way probably did more for my uh, I don't really want to say self-esteem but it just like it was a motivator for me you know like it was a motivator for me to like okay if I could do that then what's what's the next goal that I'll set for myself 
you know, and I don't, I don't think, uh, educators, some educators today are able to even inspire in those ways because they don't take the time to build the relationships, you know, and I think it's kind of like become a cliche, you know, about how important relationships are, but like, honestly, if students don't believe you care, they do not care how much you know, and that is so true. It is so true. If they don't know that you care about them, you know. And I'm even becoming better in terms of dealing with discipline because I I really do want kids to know that I love them and I know what they're capable of, even if they didn't live up to those expectations today. You know, like I don't want them to just leave and think that, you know, I'm mad at them and they are in trouble and, you know. Give us some insight into best practices for classroom management for teachers. Be prepared. Like, be prepared to meet the learning needs of the kids that you actually have in your classroom, not the ones in a book somewhere. The kids that actually walk into your door. So, you, you, you know, just for example, I taught high school math. So, when I began teaching, you know, like, First day of school, first day in the classroom, I walk in with what I feel is this phenomenal lesson. I'm teaching the order of operations and I'm ready to roll. So I get in and I start asking my first little set of kind of introductory types of questions. So I thought and I realized really quickly that I can teach the order of operations because a lot of these kids don't know basic operations. Add, subtract, multiply, divide. Withhold numbers. Like, I haven't even gotten the integers or decimals or fractions or any of that. This is just whole numbers. Mm -hmm. So I had to regroup. <laughs> you know, so my beautiful lesson turned into, let me just figure out what these kids know. And then after I figured out what they knew over a day or two, then I realized I had to go back and teach all of those basic skills. So let me let me stop you and, and just clarify. Are you suggesting that a lot of classroom management issues arise because of curricular issues or content issues or learning issues? Oh, yeah. I mean, if they don't have the background knowledge necessary for them to be successful in whatever standard you were teaching for that day, are you really making a difference? Yeah, and I feel like in my in my background experience, students would act out mm -hmm. to sort of mask yeah. what they didn't know, yeah. right? So other people don't think they're not intelligent. Yeah, and and I, I don't I don't think I got as much of that because I think I was somewhat intimidating. <laughs> when I it's first, helpful when I first started. <laughs> I didn't get a whole lot of that, but I feel like you have failed in instruction when they're not prepared for what you're teaching. Like if you don't know that they're not prepared for what you're teaching that day and you haven't planned with those kids in mind, then you've lost, period. Yeah, I, I see some, some memes floating around that that's like, um, yeah, I taught that, but you, you, weren't, you weren't listening that day. Well, have you really taught it then? Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you know? Yeah. It, I, it, my test used to always be how students performed on quizzes and uh, 
test or just if they can answer questions at the beginning of the class. You know, I used to do all this, grade them on their homework, but then I found out students were just copying homework from the smart kids in the classroom. So mm -hmm. me grading homework was a uh, an exercise of futility because when they got to the test, even if they had all these great homework scores, they were bombing the test. What's your opinion on homework? I think homework should simply be for students to solidify their uh, solidify the concepts. You know, uh, it's practice. Homework is practice. So for me in high school with kids who I know don't know basic operations to then give them a grade on a homework assignment that they're incapable of satisfactorily completing Agreed. is ridiculous. Okay. So the way I took homework is you go home and you practice on your own. The first five minutes of class, they could put any homework problem on the board they want to, right or wrong, however they solved it. And then I spent the next five to 10 minutes uh, kind of going through the problems with the whole class. Because invariably, if one student made a mistake on step two, there were probably three other kids, if not more, in that class who made the exact same mistake. So I can fix it because now we're talking about it. What would you, if you had to define the culture here at Hazeldahl, what would you say? I would say it is very uh, much a family in, in terms of the staff, in terms of our kids, in terms of the families that send their kids to school here. Uh, we've had families that like move out but, and will drive their kids to school for years because they don't want them to leave Hazeldahl. Mm hmm and we got, you know, we still see that happening. We'll have people who use bogus addresses trying to keep their kids <laughs> in the school, you know, for years. You know, at least, you know, we find out most of the time and we just tell them to fill out a transfer. But, you know, like that, that says a lot, you know, like overwhelmingly, you know, like we even had kids who who went to other schools, stayed there for, you know, three, four years, came here for a year, then moved back into the old school area and still will come to Hazelville. So, you know, that's that's pretty powerful, you know, like especially when parents have to drop you off and pick you up every day, where yes. they could, whereas if they were at the homeschool, they could just get on the bus. So, I mean, you know, like we're doing something right. Our achievement is growing and we're kind of figuring out how to do that consistently. So that's a that's the positive. We're not where we want to be, but we are definitely moving in the direction of, you know, the majority of our students being proficient at grade level, which is very important to me because if they don't, if they don't know what they're supposed to know when they get to the next grade then, or the next school, then they're behind and they'll struggle. But we don't want that to be the reality of our students. We don't want them struggling. You know, not that they won't have to work, put in effort. But we don't want them struggling with background knowledge or struggling with, you know, foundational concepts so they can apply it at the level that they need to. We are Educate, Caring Activist Teachers for Equity. Educate would like to thank the following for their support of this broadcast. The University of Illinois at Springfield, UIS. The College of Education and Human Services at UIS, the Department of Teacher Education at UIS, the Center for Online Learning, Research, and Service at UIS. 
And a very special thanks goes to our sound editor and designer, Emily Bowles, online learning and faculty development specialist at Colors, Center for Online Learning, Research, and Service at UIS. I'm Jennifer Martin. Remember, always err on the side of awesome.